Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, from an off-site campus right now or maybe in the warehouse or uh, chapel. And uh, those of you who are online, uh, good to see you. Growing online campus every week. Uh, we're glad that you're along. I, uh, yeah, I, I always get excited about coming on the weekend. I remember, you know, uh, for years when it was drudgery for me to go to church. Anybody ever remember that? And uh, I, I know that uh, every, every weekend... Uh, there are some among us who maybe this is your first time or you're fairly new and maybe you're even having a hard time believing, you know, that there is a God or believing, you know, the things that we talk about. And I just wanted to say to you, you're welcome here. There, many of us started in that same place and uh, Seacoast is a place where uh, you can come check it out and uh, I know that you'll experience over time uh, the presence and power of God in your life as, uh, as many of us have. Let me... Uh, let me just say what, a, what an incredible week this has been. I uh, was one of the few males at the women's conference this week, and uh, that was an experience. How, how many of you ladies came to the women's conference? Several of you come? All right. There were... It's kind of early. <laughs> yeah. Well, there... there <laughs> where'd that come from? There... there <laughs> There were about 1,200 women in this place, and they were crazy. They really were. They, they, they'd have their kids, husbands, boyfriends, or whatever, and uh, it was just wild. It was kind of fun just to watch a little bit, and, and uh, they worshiped together, and great speakers. And then at the end, they did this thing where they uh, sent UFOs up into the sky, and uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Nearly burned the church down, but it was, it was good. It was very, very good. And... Uh, as a part of that this year, uh, we just have some great speakers. If you didn't get to go, you need to you need to, to go next year. It's just it's it's a, an event. But um, they they asked me early on. They said, you know, last year we had all female speakers and they were great. And we're going to have a whole lineup of female speakers this year. But um, you're going to speak. They always I'm the kind of the token guy because I'm the pastor and they. I'll say, you know, they say, you can speak, but you've got some friends that do a really good job, and we love how they speak. Are there any of them that, uh, any of your guy friends that, like, speak uh, to, uh, to, you know, like, ladies' conferences or anything? And I, right away, I thought of Joe Champion. Um, Joe is my friend, and Joe, um, Joe, Joe and I have been, Joe and Lori uh, and I have been friends for about 10 years. Uh, Joe pastors a great church in Austin, Texas. Um, uh, they planted the church 12 years ago, and it's grown into one of the larger churches in the United States. And uh, he's a co-worker with me in the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, uh, where we plant churches together. In fact, this past weekend, we planted our 300th church in the last 10 years, which is kind of exciting. And uh, I think we're planting seven of them this weekend, uh, which is great, all over the United States. And uh, Joe is on the board uh, with me there. Uh, Joe was a football player at LSU. His father was a professional football coach. But here's what makes Joe uniquely qualified uh, to speak at women's conferences. And he's in demand at women's conferences all over the world, is uh, Joe had a sex change in 1992. And uh, he'll, he'll be telling you a little bit about that. But Joe is an incredible man of God. He's a, he's a teacher of the word. He's a teacher of the word. And I, I'm so excited for uh, him to share with you today. Will you welcome with me my friend Joe Champion as he comes and shares the word with you? 
many want to know about this sex change? <laughs> what an introduction. I've never felt more feminine in all my life. Thank you, Pastor Greg. It's, uh, it's an honor and a joy to be here. Now I know what it feels like to be a Clemson fan. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. So let me just tell you, God really did move in Greg and I's life. We were the only two males among 1,200 women here. And uh, we had an encounter with God in the green room, in the, in the bullpen. You know, we were back there and we were watching it on video and, and God just came over us. Let me just show you a picture of Pastor Greg. Look at, <laughs> we were just flying, we were just flying. And uh, how many know that's pretty weird right there? How many, how many first time guests are like, you know what, if I get out of here alive, I'll never come back. In fact, how many are thinking, let's go to the stew, let's go to the Oyster Festival right now. But uh, I, I want to share with you the story that Pastor Greg just started, and that would be about this sex change in 1992, and all the campuses are watching. Listen, here's the truth. In 1992, I'm getting my passport to, to travel out of the country and to go to countries that require official documentation other than Mexico and Canada. And so in 1992, I... I have to send off for all of my uh, paperwork from, from Louisiana into Vancouver, the Division of Vital Statistics in British Columbia. I was born in 1964 in downtown Vancouver at the Salvation Army Hospital. My father was, for a long time, head coach with the BC Lions, and uh, my dad would go into the NFL, but, but having been born in Vancouver... I still had all of my certificate and all of the information there. So I, in order to get the passport here in this country, I had to get all of this documentation. And so I would, I would apply and I would fill out all of the information. And then I'd get a phone call from the Division of Vital Statistics a couple of weeks later. And they said, uh, is this Mr. Champion? I said, yes, it is. And they said, are you a male or a female? I said, well, the last time I checked... As my wife is seven months pregnant, I'm, I'm a male. I've never had this question. I've never had this issue. I've never thought maybe I was a eunuch or something else. And uh, they said, well, we have you since 1964 registered as a female. I said, what? How many know there are some days you just don't know who you are? And I <laughs> woke up that day feeling all male. And... Uh, and then discover that I'm a female at about 12.30 that afternoon. They would send me the information. They would send me the official documents. They would photocopy what was filled out the day of my birth, July the 14th, 1964. It's my mother's handwriting. And then back in the day, how many moms know what I'm talking about? Back in the day, there were no computers. There were no assistants. You had a baby, and they handed you a clipboard, and they said, now fill out the information. And so in my mother's handwriting, as it is there, very clear, I know my mother's handwriting. I forged it many times to pass. <laughs> and there it is, sex of the child, female. <laughs> Not only did she fill out, and of course she's probably either on drugs or alcohol, but she, she, uh, she wrote the wrong name of my dad. <laughs> You're talking about a crisis. I don't know my gender, and I don't know my father. I'm an orphan female. And, uh, and I'm looking at this information. I called my mom. I said, what were you thinking? She goes, I didn't do that. I said, yes, you did do that. 
And so they said, now, you're going to have to have, you're going to have to have a official, someone with notary power, they're going to have to verify that you are a male. <laughs> In other words, someone will have to witness who you really are. I called one of our elders. If you're an elder here at Seacoast Church, I'm going to tell you, you got a privilege. And so they would bring my elder, one of these elders, he was an attorney, he would come and he'd say, okay, I'm just going to trust what you have to say. I don't need to verify, I don't need to look, and uh, he would put his stamp, his seal of approval. And uh, the rest is history. So now I've been doing these women's conferences all over the world, <laughs> speaking. It's been a real privilege and a real joy. And Pastor, I want to say thank you. You don't know something. Let me, let me just tell you, you're Seacoast. Now you might say, well, well, yeah, what's the big deal? I go to Seacoast, maybe you've been coming for months, maybe you've been coming for years. Do you realize you're Seacoast? Do you realize the impact that your church is having? Do you, do you realize who you are as a body and the impact that you've had upon people like my wife and I who 12 years ago, we moved to Austin, Texas. We were in Louisiana. Lori and I, we both graduated from LSU. I would have an encounter with Christ my junior year at LSU. was either that or become an alcoholic. And so I, I decided to go in the ministry by the call of God, January the 10th, 1987, and Lori and I would meet, and we would pastor our first 10 years in Louisiana, and then we began to get this burden that we were supposed to move somewhere in the world, somewhere in some city where we would spend the rest of our lives, and we would plant a church. And we would then move to Austin, Texas in August of, of 2000 with our three boys. And our three boys, the first day we started the church, 45 days later, after we moved there, my boys quit the church. They said, this is not a church. This is not the way we envision anything going. And for two years, we just limped along at Celebration Church. And I, of course, knew about Seacoast and had heard about Pastor Greg and the great work that you guys were doing here. And then God would cause us to come into relationship with Pastor Greg and Debbie and the team. And let me just tell you, from that day on, Everything changed, and we have blessed, and we've seen the blessing of God upon our church and upon our city, and, and we've watched because of you, because of you. you got to know who you are, but your impact in the world, the 307 churches after today, that came from right here, out of the vision of Seacoast, out of the vision of Pastor Greg and this team, and the cities of the world are being changed because of who you are. Can we thank God for His blessing? Amen. So I want to speak to you this morning on what I believe is the difference. It's the difference maker between whether you're going to just be normal or are you going to be supernatural. It is the difference. It is the difference. Whether you're going to be passive or powerful. And I, I want to say it like this. There, there's two kinds of consciousnesses in the world. There's, there's, there's two ways that you can approach life. And it all connects together. You can either be problem conscious or purpose conscious. You walk in here, one or two kinds of people. You're either overwhelmed about your problems or you are overwhelmed because you have a purpose. And I want to ask you a question. Are you problem-centered or are you purpose-centered? 
And the difference will be in your life, whether you're going to be passive about life or powerful in this life, will be, do you know that you have a purpose? It's going to be the difference maker. In fact, let me just tell you, purpose is what makes you wiser than you really are. When you are walking in your God-given purpose, when you understand that according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, here's what the Bible says, Paul the Apostle, he says, we know, he says, we know without any shadow of a doubt that God causes all things to work together. It doesn't say, now watch, we know that God causes all things to work together for what? For good. Now it doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't say everything will be good. It doesn't say that it was going to be good or nor did I want it to be when the day I discovered, my wife discovered that she had cancer in the neck and the chest at seven months pregnant with our first ball. That wasn't good. That wasn't good. The day that we were walking through buying bedroom furniture for our firstborn boy in 1992, it wasn't good when she finds this lump and just a few days later with the biopsy would discover that she's just filled with cancer. That's not good. But I can tell you 21 years later, God has caused all things to work together for good. Now, notice what he goes on to say. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called. Now, watch. The called according to his purpose. God never calls you. In fact, he's not like your friends. Hey, How many have some people like this? Phone rings. Hey. Hey, what's up? Nothing. Well, what are you calling about? Nothing. Just calling. Just calling. I got nothing going on. Figured you have nothing going on. You you, you don't say to your boys, in fact, well, you may. Hey, boys, come here. Hey, you guys come home. Hey, I'm calling you home. What do you want? What did you call us in for? Nothing. Just want to see. Just, just want to torture you. Let me tell you what God does not. Let me tell you. You know what torture is? Torture is getting on the phone. Torture is getting a call for no purpose. Getting a ring for no reason. Having someone connect to you, and that connection has no reason for it to come to pass. When God calls you, and God called me January the 10th, 1987. When he makes the call, on the other end of the line will not only be God himself, but there will be a purpose in him. He never calls except for a reason, for a purpose, for a function. You can use the same word for anointing. When Jesus was anointed to do good, he went about healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. The anointing is for purpose. You're never anointed for nothing. In fact, the Holy Spirit comes into your life for a purpose. He doesn't just come into your life. He, he being God himself, he doesn't just come and go, hey, let's just hang Let's just hang. Let's just talk. Just us. Let's just, just us. We're just going to spend time together. No, 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 no. There's more than that. God's got a purpose. Come on, say the word purpose. At all of our campuses, come on, say the I want to hear it all the way down here in Charleston. Come on, campuses, say the word purpose. 
very good. Here's what I want to show you again. Paul the Apostle would take it to another level. He would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in fact, he would say, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? And then he goes on to say, Run in such a way. Don't, don't just run. Don't just get into the race. Don't just have the goal of being in a race. He says, don't you know that all who run in a race all run? Like, yeah, big deal. But be in the race for this reason, for a purpose. In other words, if you're going to be in Christ, Christ is in you. Or, let's just bring it down functionally, when you're in the house of God, when you're in the church, you don't just come to come. You don't just come and say, I did that this week. I did what God told me to do in going to the house of God. I did not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But there needs to be what Paul would describe, a further understanding that there's a purpose. So he says, get in that race for this reason, that you may win. Everyone who competes in this game, they have to exercise self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, he says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I don't just get into the race and just start running everywhere. I don't just start moving anywhere I want to move. There is a track. There is a course. There is a pathway. There is a purpose. And he says, even as it relates to boxing, Paul was a boxer. And he says, if I box, I don't want to just box in the air. I don't want to just throw my energy out for nothing. He says, I am going to box or I'm going to live my life in such a way that I want to connect. I want to make sure that this goes somewhere and makes a decision to make and to fulfill the call of God upon my life. So today I want to talk to you about out of, out of Proverbs chapter 30. If you have your Bibles with me, turn there with and we'll have it on the screen. But I really believe that today some of you are going to move from being problem conscious to purpose conscious. I believe that today some of you are going to see God open up your eyes and He's going to cause you to see things instead of you looking at it from a problem. A purpose conscious person doesn't see crisis. He sees opportunity. And you're going to have, if you're going to fulfill the call of God, you're going to have to shift from looking at as everything is a problem or whatever might be difficult as a problem. You start realizing, you know what, God? You called me for a purpose. There's a purpose in everything that I'm going through. And you're going to cause what is not good to become good. And I'm going to come into agreement with the purpose and the plan that you have in my life. A little bit about myself. My dad was an NFL and Canadian Football League coach. NFL stands for not for long. <laughs> I shared briefly my testimony when I was here maybe about a year ago. But my mom and dad, wonderful people, Come, they come both out of Mississippi. My dad was from a very poor family, upstate Mississippi, Tallahatchie County. You know, the, the county where Billy Joe McAllister was, was pushed off the Tallahatchie Bridge. That was my dad. My dad pushed Joe, Billy Joe McAllister off the Tallahatchie Bridge. My mother was from Natchez, Mississippi. My dad was very poor. My mother had money. 
Mom was raised in a boarding school. Her mother was a businesswoman in New Orleans. Her father was a, a New Mexico rancher. They would meet somewhere in Mississippi. They would be married for about two years, long enough to have my mother, and she'd be raised in a boarding school. My mom and dad would both end up at Mississippi State at the same time. After the war, after Depression, and they would get married in 1950. My mother eloped with my father, got on a train in the middle of the night, her sophomore year at Mississippi State, and went up to New York City and was married the next day. My dad would play four years in the NFL, at that time the Old American Football League, and then would begin his coaching career. And then they would have my two older brothers. They would have Greg, who, who was born in 1952, my brother Keith, 1954, and then I come along in 64. By the war and after a depression and raising my two brothers, they were tired and they were even tired of church and tired of God. They weren't anti-God, it was just God was not a part of our lives. Fast forward, we would go to St. Louis with the Cardinals, back to Canada, then we would go to New Orleans with the Saints, and then St. Louis with the Cardinals, then New York with the Jets, then the Atlanta Falcons, back in the Grits Blitz years, my dad was the defensive line coach for Lehman Bennett, then we'd leave Atlanta, then we'd go to Green Bay, and in all of those years, we never attended church, not one time. Mom and dad were not anti in fact, if someone came along, even of the Hare Krishnas, if they wanted to take me to church, my parents would say, yeah, you need to go. Just get in the van. Just take off. <laughs> in fact, they said, we're not going to dedicate you. We're not even going to have you water baptized. That's your decision. We want you to know what you're making and your heart a priority. And so I would say it like this. My parents displayed to me a life without hypocrisy. My dad, in fact, I'd say, how come we don't even go to church like the rest of the people at Easter or Christmas? He says, because I have no intention to live any different tomorrow. And in fact, he said, we don't mess with God. We have a fear of the Lord. And if we're going to go to church, I know it means I'm going to have to change my life. I'm not ready to do that. I appreciate it about my dad. He was honest. He was true. So I never was raised around hypocrisy. I was never raised around except in an atmosphere of truth and integrity. And then what would happen to me, we would begin to uh, move to Louisiana. Next-door neighbors, Peggy and Jack Benson, would begin to invite me to First Baptist Church of Natchez, Mississippi. You've never been to a real Southern Baptist church until you've been to First Baptist Church of Natchez, Mississippi. <laughs> Pastor O. Dean Puckett. <laughs> Brother Puckett. You've got to say it really carefully. Brother Puckett. Oh, I'm, I'm learning something about this church. And so <laughs> I'd get water baptized by Brother Puckett. And uh, at that time, I had just begun playing football at LSU. But I still had a lot of the world in me. And January the 10th, 1987 is my junior year. And sitting on a deer stand, the Lord would speak to me. And he'd say, today will be the greatest day of your life. You'll never be the same after this day. It was the first time I'd ever heard the voice of God. I believed in Jesus. I accepted Christ as my Savior. I'd been water baptized. I believe I was going to heaven. My sins were forgiven. But until January the 10th, 1987, I wasn't living for my purpose. I wanted God, and I wanted to be saved. I wanted to know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. But guess what? I was passive about my purpose. I was going to heaven, but I was still passive about my purpose. I was forgiven of my sins, but I was passive about my purpose. 
I knew that I had a relationship to Christ. I knew that I had experienced Him. And I I could tell you about how to be saved and how to come into a personal relationship to Christ. But, But until January the 10th, 1987, I was passive about my purpose. Can I tell you, there's another way to live. I think that when he says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly in John 10, 10, I think Jesus was saying, I didn't come to just give you eternal life. I've come to give you the understanding of the pleasure of this eternal life and making it happen and becoming a reality in the lives of other people. And so I think that in this case, we have Proverbs chapter 30. Watch this. It says, the words of Agur, the son of of Jacob, the oracle, the man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ucal. Now, I love, there's some thoughts right there. It says, the words of Agur. It's like, who is this Agur? I think he was being born. He was being delivered. The doctor holds him up. It's a girl. No, it's a boy. And so it says, the man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ucal. University of California is in the Bible, if you want to know. He says, surely I am more stupid than any man. He says, God, I do not have the understanding of a man, neither have I learned wisdom, nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. He's having a bad day. In other words, what he is describing, if you look in these Hebrew words here, he says, God, I'm living like a beast. I just feel like I'm an animal. I just feel like I'm existing. I just feel like I'm here to survive I just feel like I'm just doing what I need to do to, to function, to just, to just keep my sanity. That's the description that he is describing. Maybe you're here today and you're like, God, what am I doing in this world? Am I just here to survive? Am I here just to live, to die, and then by the grace of God go to heaven? I think that he's struggling with purpose. I think he's really wanting to know, God, what am I doing here? I'm not filled with the right kind of wisdom. I'm not filled with the right kind of knowledge. I want to know, God, is there more to life than me dying and going to heaven and living forever? Because if this is the case, God, I don't necessarily buy into all of this. I'm not into just existence, God. I want to experience why I'm here. And then God would lead him to chapter 30, the same chapter, beginning in the 24th verse. Now watch what he says. Four things are small on the earth. Four things. Four things are small on the earth. And then he says, but they are what? They are exceedingly wise. Four things that are small on the earth, they're exceedingly wise. The ants, he starts with this. He said, the ants, I was watching And I saw these ants. Maybe he was watching Animal Planet one day. And he said, the ants, here's what I noticed about them. They are are not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. The seraphim, or the badger, they, they are not a mighty people, yet they make their houses in the rocks. The locusts, they have no king, yet all of them go out in ranks. The lizards, you may grasp, and the word lizard also is the word spider, so some translations may have spider. And he says, these lizard or spider, these, these creatures, he says, you, you may grasp them with the hand, yet it is in king's palaces. I, I think here's the picture. What, what, what do we learn? What is God showing us out of Proverbs chapter 30 in these few verses, 24 through 26, that you know what? 
When you are living for your purpose, you're not living a bug's life. You're living a beautiful life. What he discovers in these insects, that when they're in their purpose, when these creatures, these creatures who were created by God, now watch, when they are doing what they've been called to do, the ant, the badger, when these creatures, the lizard, the spider, when, when they are in their purpose, they are like God. You are never more like God than when you're in your purpose. Or contrary, you are never more like an animal than when you don't live for your purpose. You are never more animal-like. Let me tell you something. Have you ever seen some people manifest like beasts? Come on, ladies. You ever seen that husband all of a sudden? You're like, what man did I marry? What insect have I gotten in bed with? You know what I'm talking about. When all of a sudden, I think Agar's struggling with some behavior. He's seeing some things come out of his mouth. He's seeing some lifestyle. He's seeing some choices. And he goes, this is, this is like a life without God. And then God says, let me show you about these bugs. And let me show you how your life, when you're walking in your God-given purpose, it begins to reflect the nature and the character of God. It's these little bitty bugs. Four little creatures who are powerful in their purpose. Let me just give you some descriptions about purpose today. Number one, let me just tell you about purpose. When you are living in your purpose, purpose changes your identity. Now watch. I went to LSU. I know we did not get much of an education at the Louisiana State University on a football scholarship. I did not go there to study. I'll just be honest with you. But here's what he says. The ants, now watch, verse 24. The ants are a people. The ants, they're, they're not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. The seraphim, or the badger, they are not a mighty people, yet they make their houses on the rock. I want you to see what he just simply says right there. He goes, the ants are a people. Listen. When you're in your purpose, you're changing your identity. You're different. When you come into your God-given purpose, when you begin to say, Lord, I want to live for why you created me. I want to be where you want me to be. You said, where I find you, there I will be also. Jesus said, where I am, there you will follow. And when you're living in your God-given purpose, can I just tell you, all of a sudden, you see yourself differently. And what he saw was people-like activity in these ants. This is why when they looked at Jesus and they heard Jesus, after his wilderness experience, he comes into his fullness or into his anointing, if you will. He's now anointed for purpose. After his water baptism, now he's gone through the 40 days of suffering in the wilderness. He comes out of that wilderness season in the power of the Holy Spirit. He begins to preach. And he begins to show himself. He begins to declare the kingdom of God. And what were the people saying? This is Joseph's son. Where did you get this wisdom? We, we, we've never seen you like this. You're the carpenter's boy. Let me tell you what happened. When he stepped into that 
purpose, which he had always been in, but when he was coming closer to the reason why he came to the planet, and that was to die for your sins and my sins, can I just tell you, people saw him in a different way. They said, we do not understand how you are the carpenter's boy speaking like this. Let me tell you, when you walk in your God-given purpose, when you walk into that building tomorrow, when you walk into that home today, where you walk or what doors are opening unto you, whatever that may be, when you say, Lord, I want to live for my purpose, can I tell you, people are going to look at you differently. You think differently. You act differently. And you begin to understand that you are not just here to live for yourself. The first point that you've got to see is that purpose changes your identity. It changes you. It makes you live like the man or the woman that God called you to be. It takes the animal-like life out of you. Paul the Apostle was animal-like before he had his conversion to Christ. And he was a madman. He was a murderer, out of control. And then God appears to him. And he said, for this purpose, I've appeared to you. You're going to be my witness. And you are going to go and you're going to turn people from darkness into light. You're going to turn them from the power of Satan into God. And all of a sudden, Paul's identity changed. And out of his life flowed two-thirds of the New Testament that we read every day. Purpose changes your identity. Here's the second thing that we can learn that we can even discover from these insects, and that is this. The ants, they're they're not just a people. He says, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants, they prepare their food in what? In the summer. Let me tell you about purpose. Purpose lives beyond today. When you are in your God-given purpose, you are not thinking only about now. You are thinking about the future. The difference between a problem-conscious person and a purpose-conscious person is their time frame. When you and I are walking in our God-given purpose, when you say, Lord, the purpose of my time in this world is not just about me, nor is it just about the temporary. It is about, God, what do you want to do through me? How do you think Jesus was able to endure the suffering of the cross? It says this, that for the joy set before him, he endured the pain. You know what he saw? He saw you. He saw me. He saw us in eternity forever and ever. He saw us as a family that would worship him for the rest of time. And the reality is that the only way that you are going to make sure that you don't get consumed with what's happening in your life now is that you've got to realize there's a bigger destiny for you in the future. Esau comes in from hunting. Esau sees his brother. He made an oyster stew. That's the Hebrew word. He made a stew. He made a savory stew. And guess what? He goes, you know what? I'm so hungry. I'm going to die. You know what Jacob said? You sell me the touch of God upon your life. You give me the double portion blessing that is on you because you're the firstborn. I'll give you my stew. You know what Esau said? I'm about to die. I am so. Have you ever been so hungry that you felt like you're going to die? And he says, you know what? I don't need the future. I don't need God. I don't want God. I don't want the double portion. And you know what he did? He sold the blessing of God upon his life for temporary pleasure. Can I encourage you? It's not worth it. The temporary fling, the temporary adulterous affair, 
the temporary bad decisions. Young people, listen to me. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Purpose helps you live beyond today. Number three, what do we learn? That in this story, we can see this. It says, the badgers, they are not mighty people, but watch this. They make their houses in where? In the rocks. Now, that's not a drink on the rocks. Listen, here's what he says. He says, God, I don't know how to make it. I, 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 I don't know how I can stay in this hard world. I, I don't know how I can stay in this hard job. I don't know how I can stay in this hard marriage. I, I don't, I, it's just too hard. And God shows him the badger. You know what he says about the badger? These badgers can make a home even in difficult places. Pastor Joe, you don't know the man that I'm living with. You don't know the job that I have. Let me just tell you something. When you're in your God-given purpose, you can make a home anywhere. Jesus did not. Listen, if I was God, I would have sent my son down for about three minutes. How many know what I'm talking about? In other words, Jesus, you need to go and redeem the world. And if I was Jesus, I would have said, hey, can we do this in about three minutes? Just drop me in Jerusalem. Let him bring me to the cross. Let's get this thing over with. God didn't do it that way. Christ, nor did he come into this world in three minutes. For 33 years. Let me tell you what he showed us. Even though he was in this world, he said, I can live anywhere in my purpose. And maybe you want to quit your job. Maybe you want tomorrow to turn in your notice. Let me just tell you something. I don't care how hard it is. If you'll become purpose conscious, even in your marriage, even in your marriage, because if you got married because she's fine, he's fine. If you got married because he's going to make you happy and she's going to make you happy, can I just tell you something? You got a problem. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't want to say I got a problem. I'll just look at you, Pastor Joe. Let's just wink right now. That's me. Help me. Get me out. Listen, everything needs to have a purpose. And there needs to be a purpose in your marriage. And the primary purpose of marriage is to preach the gospel. Your marriage is supposed to be a message of God's redempting power, even in fallen people, and how they can stay together through forgiveness and grace. Are you problem conscious? Or are you purpose conscious? And I don't care how hard it is. We learn from the rock badgers, no matter how difficult. They told us that you can't plant a church in Austin, Texas. It's hard. Pastor Greg said, do you know it's the graveyards of preachers? It's the graveyards of church plant. And you know what? I said, Pastor Greg, I think we've got a purpose. I know God spoke to me. And you know what? It's become our home. I hate UT, but it has become our home. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? I'm the chaplain for the University of Texas football team. I can make a home anywhere. For about 30 minutes. About 30 minutes. Let me give you another one. What do we learn? The locusts have no king. The locusts have no king. Now watch this. The locusts have no king, yet what? They go out. How? They go out in rank. Let me just tell you, purpose puts you in order. You know what you need in your life? You need this church. Do you know what purpose does? Purpose orders you. Purpose orders you. Purpose. It says these locusts, 
They, they don't have anybody commanding them and telling them where to go, where to line up, who to connect to. But you know what? Purpose will tell you, you need other locusts. Come on, turn to somebody and say, I need you locusts in my life. That's, listen, God's purpose never says go individual. This is why some of you need to make sure you are teaching this make room curriculum that has just been put together. Purpose says you need a team. You know what the locusts were saying? We need to be connected. Pastor Joe, I, I, I love God. But you know what? You need to understand He wants you to love not just Him, but the purpose for why you were born for such a time as this. The last point I want to make, and we learn it from the spider or from the lizard. It says, He can be grasped with hands. One day you can see Him in your hand, and then it says, but He'll find Himself in King's palaces. What is this teaching us about purpose? Purpose will take you places that you cannot go on your own. You did not bring me here to talk about LSU football and its fine college and its fine football product. You didn't, listen, Pastor Greg did not bring me here except for this. The purpose that I have found in my life to communicate the gospel is what's opened doors all over the world. That lizard, that spider up in King's Palace, let me tell you, my brothers, I've got two very successful brothers, but you know what my brothers have said to me? Why do they want you? You're the brother. You're the little brother. You're Joey. You're a female. You're a girl. You've always been a woman. Even before you discovered you were a woman. My brother Greg, two-star general. My other brother Keith, the retired colonel. My brother Greg's the most decorated commander in the history of the National Guard for our country. He's had more combat command experience than any other National Guardsman in the history of our nation. Keith, retired F-18 fighter pilot. Listen, they go, how do you go where you go? It's purpose. Maybe you're not wondering, in fact, maybe you are wondering, where am I going, God? How come doors are not opening? Purpose will open doors that people cannot open for you. Would you bow your heads, please, all over this place? Father, I thank you that today you are the purpose for which we are here. Jesus, there are people here today that want to know, why am I on this planet? What's the purpose? And here it is. Jesus, you are our purpose. Now today, I pray move people from being problem to purpose conscious. May we experience you today, Jesus, and have a shift in how we view life. For all things will work together for those who live for their purpose. 